26 through 38, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. And now in chapter 2, In those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. When they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. The word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. Ron, you're my hero. About two minutes ago, I had lost my sermon, and Ron found it, so that's... You never want to discover you're missing your sermon two minutes before you go up. Well, we are today talking about locations associated with the birth of Christ, and we'll be moving through some of these quickly because there's a lot more today. I had to pare them down a little bit so I wouldn't keep you here all day and all afternoon. Uh, But we will be talking about three different sites pertaining to the birth of Christ. The Church of the Annunciation, uh, the Church of the Shepherd's Fields, and the Church of the Nativity. Three sites that we saw uh, on our trip 
to Israel. Today's uh, sermon is called Where to Begin, and I'll mention that uh, again here momentarily. We will today begin in our last location in the region of Galilee, in the town of Nazareth, a small, uneventful town at that time. Uh, Nazareth, as you can see on the map, is still in the northern part of Israel to the west of the Sea of Galilee. So the past few weeks, we were actually on the Sea of Galilee. We have gone out, uh, gone west, and there is the city of Nazareth. It is almost directly due north of Jerusalem. And so that is where we find the Church of the Annunciation. The Church of the Annunciation, before we get there, we'll talk a little bit about Nazareth. Nazareth is called the Arab capital of Israel. And I, don't, I never want to assume too much, I never want to assume too little, but when we use the term Arab, that is an ethnicity or a people group. It is not a religion, uh, it is a people group, uh, people from that area. For instance, our tour guide, Samir, was an Israeli Christian of Arab descent. Okay, so that's what we mean when we say the word Arab. The current population of that city is 76,000. There is an upper Nazareth, which is primarily a Jewish population, because Nazareth today is comprised of only, almost exclusively, Christians and Muslim, majority Muslim, and a few Christians. Jewish people live elsewhere. Nazareth is the site of two churches of the Annunciation, St. Joseph's Church and several Muslim holy sites. Now, you may be asking, how can there be two churches of the Annunciation? Did it happen twice? No, it didn't happen twice. Uh, but for a long time, well back, uh, towards the 3rd century at least, this site that we will talk about today was regarded as the location of Mary's home in Nazareth. But in one of the extra-biblical works that the Greek Orthodox Church takes as authoritative, Mary was drawing water from a stream when the angel came to her. And so there was another church of the Annunciation located near a stream, also in Nazareth. So there's a little factoid for you. Today we will be only be focusing on one of those churches. This is the beautiful Church of the Annunciation. Uh, it, is, it was built in uh, the mid-20th century. It is a beautiful Roman Catholic church on the front, though you can't see it now, are the words, Verbum caro factum est et habitat in nobis. Penny, what does that mean? I, put it, I didn't tell her I'd put her on the spot. That's our resident Latin scholar. It means the word made flesh and dwelt among us. It would have been good to have Penny with us on this trip because there was a lot of Latin that I didn't understand. So to have a Latin scholar there would have been helpful. But uh, inscribed on the front of the church, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. As we have talked about with almost every holy site, this church was built on top of other churches that came before it. That's kind of the story. Uh, it is built on top of the grotto that is believed to be the home or the cave of Mary. Uh, most people would have lived in something like a cave or a modified cave where Gabriel announced to her that she was with child. In this location was a Byzantine area church built in the 4th century, destroyed in the 7th century. A Crusader era church was then built and it was destroyed in the 13th century. And then in the 18th century, we began working towards a time when it was permanently claimed and we worked towards this church that was built in the 20th century. So on this very location, there had been several churches built. But as we talked about over time, between destruction and war and invasions, those churches often get destroyed. You can see another view of this church from the cupola outside. It was a massive church, one of the largest churches that we visited while we were there. And it was truly beautiful. As we moved inside, you'll see how large it is. 
You can see our group descending some stairs there in the middle of the church where you see some columns. Those are left over from an old church that was attempted to be built but was never completed. And you'll see some stone there covering what's called the grotto um, of Mary, or that is where Mary's house would have been. And so it is believed that uh, on, on this location, the angel visited Mary, who was from Nazareth, to announce to her that she was with child. Here's another view. You can see the altar and directly behind it, the cave. Uh, and then that is gazing directly in. You can see the dome structure on the inside. Um, that is, of course, one of the old churches probably dating back to the 4th century. A church was built there, and there were inscriptions there suggesting that for a very long time, from very early on, they believed this to be the house of Mary. On that altar table was a very similar inscription as what I read earlier, verbum caro hic factum est. Here the word became flesh. It was a beautiful church as we descended into that grotto, but it was a very tall church as well. In fact, with many of the churches we visited, there were multiple chapels inside the church, each as large as a church on its own. Uh, but we went to a chapel in the upper level uh, that was uh, had pictures and murals all around it of Mary holding the baby Jesus. So what you're seeing here is Mary holding the baby Jesus. Now, you may not have seen this depiction before. I know I'm used to seeing American white Jesus holding American white baby. This was a gift from the Japanese, and it's a reminder that Jesus is present in every culture and every people group. It was a beautiful reminder for me, something uh, I tend to forget. So this was a gift from Japan. There were gifts from all kinds of places around the world, uh, from various cultures depicting their culture, but also each one being Mary and Jesus. And that was a, a beautiful reminder for me. Our last location in Nazareth, I will spend just a very brief moment on. This is a small church sitting behind the Church of the Annunciation. In many ways, it's in the shadow of the Church of the Annunciation. And quite frankly, that's because Joseph often is in the shadow of Mary. Joseph doesn't get quite the same number of mentions that Mary gets in the Bible. This is the Church of St. Joseph. And this location is very loosely and not very accurately uh, given as the location of Joseph's home. This does not go back to the 3rd or 4th century like most of these churches we're talking about. This was much later on. Someone found a baptismal pool here and thought, you know, this, this could maybe be the home of Joseph, and that's kind of how it came to be. So uh, we don't put a lot of stock into the location of this being Joseph's home, but it was still a neat thing to see. It was a smaller, more humble church there behind the church of the Annunciation. So we leave the region of Galilee, and we head south. We head into the West Bank, or what sometimes is called as the more Palestinian territory, and we headed towards Jerusalem. Now, we're not in Jerusalem yet. In fact, we've, we've gone just south of Jerusalem to a town called Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. You can see how close it is to Jerusalem. It's just a little way south, not a very long drive, but here we found, uh, we looked upon a couple of sites regarding uh, the birth of Christ and, and the location there. So you can get a better idea of where Bethlehem is in relation to Jerusalem and where we were. Bethlehem is a West Bank city. It is majority Muslim and a shrinking population of Christians. It is a significant city in both the Old and New Testament. 
So the city of Nazareth was one of the most uneventful cities in the Old or New Testament. In fact, you remember the phrase, what good can come from Nazareth? Well, they believed that in both Old Testament and New Testament times because it was an insignificant city that produced nothing special. Bethlehem, on the other hand, was an incredibly important city for Jewish people. Uh, the town of David, a significant city for the Jewish people and the Christian people. Currently, it's economically dependent on tourism. People like me who were there, who make their pilgrimage to holy sites. They have olive wood carvings, jewelry, and embroidery. That is the modern city of Bethlehem. We began by going to a gate that said, Gloria and Excelsis Deo. So if you were looking to find a site pertaining to the birth of Christ and you saw this banner, you might say, I think I've arrived in the right place. It was very clear. And of course, we came upon what's called the Church of the Shepherds Field. This is a church built upon a cave or upon the cave on which the shepherds heard the announcement from the angel. Now, Surprise, surprise, there are about three or four churches of the shepherd's field. So we visited the one that is primarily associated with that dates back to the 3rd and 4th century where we found remains of a church, the Church of the Shepherd's Field. This is the chapel of the angel that's built on top of the cave and on top of an old church. And this is the cave itself. Uh, this is as close as we were able to get because there was a mass going on inside, so we were not able to go inside and look inside the cave. But this is the location. The idea is that the shepherds um, had their flocks inside the cave. The shepherds would have been outside. They would have wanted their flock to be protected from the elements or wild animals, so they brought the flocks into the cave, and the shepherds would have slept and stayed outside the cave, and so the angel would have appeared to the shepherds right in this location. Of course, on these sites, we did what we have done in worship today. We sang Christmas songs most appropriately, and by the way, that is not uncommon. Most Christian groups visiting the Holy Land break into song in almost every location, so it's not an unusual thing. You might think, did you get some stares when you started just singing out of nowhere? Well, not exactly, because it was a very common thing to sing songs on these holy sites. And so this is, of course, the entrance to the church of the Shepherd's Fields, the cave, joined with the remains of a 4th century church. So in other words, we know that in the, third, in the 4th century, in the 300s, early Christians believed this to be the site, which is pretty special. We then ascended a hill to go towards the Church of the Nativity. If you have ever tuned into a Holy Land worship uh, around Christmas time, you very well may have seen a video feed from this particular church on Christmas, um, because this is the site, uh, traditional site, where Jesus was born. You are looking at the Church of the Nativity, and you'll notice it doesn't look like a church. It looks more like a fortress or a wall. Uh, well, that was, that was more intentional. What you're looking at now um, is the Church of the Nativity, uh, built upon another small church of the 6th century, built upon another church of the 4th century. Once again, this is the common case for most of the holy sites. But this church was never destroyed. In fact, this is one of the oldest standing churches in existence. And this church, for some reason, was never destroyed. And, and, and the reason may surprise you. Uh, it was subject to invasion. In fact, the Persians had come in and destroyed several churches in the area. But they entered the Church of the Nativity, and they found paintings of three wise men dressed in Persian clothes. And they said, you know what? We're not going to destroy this sacred site. 
and so they left it be. And so this church, these walls still remain from many centuries ago. You had to enter the church by going through this small opening that you can see is carved out of a bigger door that they filled in to keep invaders from coming in. So in other words, horses wouldn't be able to storm this church. The only way you could get in is to bow going into the church of the nativity. Now, how special is that? How special is it that walking into a church, a church centered on Jesus, you are forced to bow? So there may be a practical aspect of it, but there's also a very sacred aspect of bowing when you enter the presence of God. The church is ordained beautifully. It is a Greek Orthodox church, and you can imagine there are all kinds of lamps and candles and paintings and carvings all over the place. Pictures simply do not do it justice, but it is very ornate and very old as well. In fact, this church is considered endangered. We hear about endangered animals, but we also have endangered buildings. This church is so old, it, it is leaking, it, it, it is mildewing, it is rotting. And so this church was one of the only sites that we went to that was actually being preserved. Uh, we were very fortunate to go to all of these holy sites and they, there was no scaffolding or coverings. This church was. This church was being worked on because it's in bad shape. And so hopefully they're going to get it worked on and restored to where it will be able to uh, bless us uh, for decades and centuries to come. More ornate uh, pictures, gathering uh, icons, people would gather in the church to worship and see those. In order to enter the church of the nativity or the location of the nativity, we would have to, as usual, go down a, a steep flight of stairs into a very low-line area below the church. So this is all of us lined up. We met for our group picture that day. That's why we're all wearing the same shirt. Uh, but we went into this cave and we saw this here. It looks probably something like a fireplace to you, but this is the spot on which Jesus was born and is believed to have been so since the third or fourth century. It was at least regarded then. We know that there was a church there at that time. So this is a very small spot. You had to hunch down to see it. You'll notice that star there. That is a 14-point star marking the location where Jesus was born. You may be asking, well, why, why 14? Does, wouldn't 7 make more sense or maybe 3 or something like that? Well, 14 is a significant number uh, in regards to Jesus because in Matthew's genealogy, there are 14 generations from Abraham to David. And then there are 14 generations from David to the exile. And there are 14 generations from the exile to the Messiah. And so this 14-point star was to signify Jesus' connection to the Jewish people and the Jewish faith. Um, and so that was pretty special to see as well. We went across the room also and saw a marble shelf. Once again, looking at it, you wouldn't think too much of it. But this is the shelf on which Jesus would have been laid after he was born. St. Jerome, one of the early Christians, was was terrified that people came in and placed a marble uh, slab over this spot. He said it almost desecrated in a sense. He said he would rather have seen the humble beginnings of Christ instead of seeing these, these ornate decorations and marble slabs. But that was just his opinion. Obviously, the church did this because they believed it to be special. Uh, but obviously, it, it goes without saying that this church does not look like the original third century church. That would have been much more simple 
uh, just simply stone, not a lot there. Where to begin? Sometimes when people ask me about the Holy Land trip and they say, how was it? I say, oh, where do I begin? Where do I begin? I didn't know if I should just start chronologically. I didn't know if I should start with my favorite location, the biggest place. Do I start with the cross? Do I start with the empty tomb? I I don't always know where to begin because it was such a special trip. I think we are sometimes also struck with that question when people ask about the Christian faith or ask about Jesus. Do you ever find yourself saying, where do I begin? Do I talk about my sin and how Jesus forgives me? Do I talk about Genesis where God created the heavens and the earth out of love? Do I begin with Jesus' ministry? Do I begin with Luke chapter 4 where Jesus gives his mission statement? So you may be asking yourself, we don't always know where to begin because there are so many different starting points. And I think I would say even as your pastor, when you're speaking of someone about Jesus or the Christian faith, you begin where the Holy Spirit leads. That may be one place for you. That might be one place for another person. As long as we talk about Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and talking about what that means, that's what important, what's important. But here's one other place you may begin, and that's with his birth. We don't always begin there, do we? Sometimes we add it on later. We say, hey, you know that holiday you celebrate in December called Christmas? Well, that's, that's when Jesus was born. But we don't always start there when we talk about the Christ. And I would even say, as your pastor, you have permission to start with the birth of Christ, naturally, where it all began. Because as you'll notice from this scripture, it tells us so much about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. When Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, we are shown and we see that God acts in miraculous, impossible ways to bring salvation to the world. When the angels announced to the shepherds that the Messiah had been born, we learned that the gospel is not simply reserved for the rich and the powerful, but comes to the most despised, lowly people in our cities and in our towns. So Jesus comes to save all of us, and not just an elite few, but even those who are sleeping outside a dirty cave in this small town of Bethlehem. And of course, we can look to the church of the nativity, we can look to the adornment, we can look to the place where Jesus was born, we can look to the 14-pointed star. But just remember through all of this, as I've mentioned many times, the point of this Holy Land trip that I took and the point of me sharing this with you was not simply to do some sightseeing and to come up with something because I didn't have some other idea for a sermon series. It's hopefully to help the scripture come to life for us. It's to bring the message of Christ to a place where we can understand it more, know more what's going on, seeing the city and the church, understanding where Jesus came into this world, understanding the incarnate Christ. If we can walk from this place today understanding more about who Jesus is, and who we are, and what Jesus has done for us by saving us, by coming into this world, then I know this trip was worth it for me. And I hope that being here today is worth it for you as well. Let's pray together.
Oh God, we're thankful that the birth of Christ means so much for us. Yes, we know how his life pans out. We know that he teaches us the truths of the kingdom. We know that he goes to the cross willingly and that because he died, our sins can be forgiven should we put our trust in him. We also have the hope of the empty tomb. It gives us hope that we too will find resurrection through Christ. But Lord, help us not forget the importance of these birth stories, that the way that Jesus comes into this world is miraculous and saving in and of itself. And it tells us so much about how you love us. Christmas may not be for another few more months, but we have heard truth today. And may it remain with us even when it is not Christmas. May we always be aware of your saving power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.